I want to talk to you tonight about approval. Whose approval are you seeking? Who do you serve is actually another way to ask that question. We're going to talk from Galatians chapter 1. Well, tomorrow's Halloween, and, uh, and I've shared about this in the past, but just in case it comes up, uh, we don't do anything for Halloween. You know, a lot of churches do trunk or treat and things like that and, and have no problem with that. God bless them. I hope they have a lot of folks come. But uh, we, we just we choose not to do anything for Halloween because of what Halloween represents, and we, just, we choose not to acknowledge it in any way. And so uh, if you ever wonder why we're not doing events like Trunk or Treat or Fall Festivals or things like that, that's why. Um, there is something else on October 31st, though, that uh, is really something I think worthy of celebration. It's All Saints Day. It's the day that um, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the Gutenberg Church door, and that event sparked the Protestant Reformation. Um, and so that's something that's worth celebrating, definitely. And uh, I just Martin Luther is something of a, a, hero, a hero in one sense. He was a very imperfect person, very crude, and could be volatile. Uh, but uh, I, I admire the courage that he had in standing up for what he knew was right. Uh, when he went to... Um, post those 95 theses or 95 um, uh, points on the Gutenberg door. In the Gutenberg door, the, they would nail announcements on the door like a bulletin board. That's, it wasn't unusual to nail it to the door. So if you have ideas, please don't nail them onto our door. You'll break the glass. <laughs> but um, anyway, he posted on a bulletin board. And his purpose was not to break away from the Catholic Church. His purpose was to address what he perceived as abuses in the Catholic Church and incorrect doctrine. And in posting these things on the door, what he was actually seeking to do was he was inviting other scholars. He was a, he was a theology professor, and he was inviting other scholars to enter into a friendly debate on different doctrines and practices, things like indulgences. And if you don't know what indulgences are, the Catholic Church had a teaching that you could purchase uh, an indulgence, basically give some money, you get a receipt for it, and that receipt, uh, purchasing that receipt on behalf of a loved one who had died, when you purchased an indulgence on their behalf, it bought years off of their time in purgatory. And so, so the Catholic Church used this to, the Pope actually used this to manipulate, to raise money because he wanted to build a new cathedral in Rome. And so, and so this is very much, that was, well, put it this way, that was very much the TBN of its day. You know, because today it's like if you sow a $1,000 seed offering, you know, you get out of debt and that kind of thing. Well, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's indulgences. It's the same principle. I, I'm going to give money to the church to get something from God. That's the idea. <clears throat> so Martin Luther uh, called them out on it and hoping to have a debate, and he actually thought... <laughs> Get this, he actually thought the Pope would thank him for protecting the integrity of the Word of God in church tradition. He actually thought the Pope would thank him, and yet the Pope tried to have him killed. And so, anyway, all of that simply to say this, the thing that I admire so much about Martin Luther was that when he was challenged, after he spoke up and spoke truth, when he was challenged on it, he didn't back down, he, he stood his ground, 
and was willing to die for it. In fact, late in his life expressed regret that he had not died a martyr's death. He fully expected to die a martyr's death. He actually had kind of a martyr syndrome and wanted to die as a martyr uh, to, to honor the Lord, and he didn't. But uh, anyway, he, uh, he was willing to give his life for the sake of what was true and what was right. We need some more Martin Luthers in the world today. Now, like in Luther's day, and like in New Testament days, we live in a day where it's very difficult many times to speak truth. And part of the reason for that is that we have different motivations. We have insecurities we're trying to protect or we're trying to... Um, trying not to turn people against us and that kind of thing. And so we often end up compromising the truth. And I'm not just talking about in the church world. I'm talking about even on the family level, you know, husbands and wives, children, parents, and on the job. We, we compromise what we know to be right for the sake of what's expedient, right? And so I've been mulling over this, this passage that we're going to look at tonight and asking myself, what is it that causes us to do this and, and how can we do what's right no matter the cost? So let's read this together. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul is just, just launching into the book of Galatians here. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And here's what I want us to focus on. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? <clears throat> if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's the key phrase. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. <clears throat> so... Paul draws this dichotomy here to where he says, I, there, I can either serve God or I can serve man. So here's the first point that we need to understand is we cannot seek to please others and please God at the same time. We cannot please God if we are trying to please others, if our decisions are based upon what is expedient for others. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got this tickle in my throat tonight. <clears throat> so, let me unpack this verse just a minute. Or this chapter, rather. The letter of, to the Galatians has a, a sharp tone to it. Paul is correcting the churches in Galatia because others had come in and had started undermining Paul's ministry uh, and teaching some bad doctrine. They were basically false teachers. And... <clears throat> And so not only were they teaching bad doctrine, but we pick up from other books and other verses 
and through some things in church history that they were not only maligning Paul's teachings, but they were maligning Paul himself. They were being critical of him and questioning his motives and those kinds of things. And so and there's something here in the first chapter of Galatians that we easily miss because, of, because we're not, not uh, accustomed to the, the form that letters usually took in that time period. Let's back up and read uh, the first few verses in the opening part of the, uh, opening part of the letter. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, now that's verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now, in, in, when we write letters today, we usually open up, Dear David, glad to see you. I hope you're doing well. Here's the business of the letter. Sincerely, Chad Payne. Okay, we put the name of the sender at the end. And that day, they would put the name of the sender first, saying, this is from Paul, and I'm writing to the, to the churches in Galatia. And then he gives them that blessing, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's, that's normal up to that point. All of Paul's letters pretty much begin that way. Normally, what's next then would be some kind of statement of praise to the church he's, to which he's writing. I thank my God. In Philippians, it's I thank God every time I think of you in prayer and rejoicing over what God is doing in your life, knowing that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a statement of gratitude and blessing and praise to the people to whom he's writing. Galatians doesn't have that. Paul says, look, it's Paul, I'm writing it, I'm an apostle, not by man, but by God. God made me an apostle. I'm writing to the church of Galatia. Grace to you. Normally we would expect to say, I'm so thankful for you. He doesn't. He goes in verse 5, from grace to you, to verse 6, I am astonished at you guys. I cannot believe what I'm hearing about you people. And so instead of it providing an apostolic blessing, he essentially, one scholar said, he provided an apostolic curse. <clears throat> and so that's the tone, and we don't always pick this up in the change of the language here, but Galatians has that tone to you. I cannot believe what I'm hearing about you people. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. And so he's chewing them out. So to the original readers, you have to understand this would be very jarring. They would read Paul's letter. Oh, look, Paul wrote us a letter. What's he going to say this time? Grace to you. Oh, that's great. Um, God the Father, glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm astonished. Uh-oh. So the thing that they would have picked up on right away in reading this was Paul was ticked. He was ticked. He was a daddy who had taken the belt off of the loop. All right? And so <clears throat> we have to ask the question there, why is he upset with the Galatian believers? It's because they had allowed these others to influence them and to pervert the gospel and to drive a wedge between him and these churches. We see something similar 
happening at Corinth. False teachers had spread rumors about Paul and basically got people talking negatively about him. So that in 2 Corinthians 10.10, we read, Paul is quoting what some others have said about him. He says, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. In other words, he talks a big talk when he's far away. But when he's looking you eye, in the, looking you eye to eye, he's not all that. He, he won't, he, he's not that impressive. He's, he's weak, and, and, and he's, just, he's really just not everything he claims to be from a distance. So these are the kind of things that people are saying about him. And we have seen people like this, right? This is the way most bullies operate, right? This is the way bullies operate. They talk, they talk a big talk from a distance, but, and I'm non-confrontational by nature, but I have learned that when you stand up to a bully, they typically will back down. And so this is what they were trying to paint Paul as being, is that, oh, he talks big here, but nah, he's not really all that in person. And this is the way many of us operate on some level. So let's pause here and consider. How would you respond to others that seem to dismiss you, to dismiss your needs, or to uh, dismiss uh, what you're trying to accomplish? When you pour your heart into something, and somebody just says, it's not all that big a deal, it's not that great, or they dismiss you and say, just... Get over yourself and do it. Or they just try to dismiss you as a person and just say, he, plays a good, he talks a good talk and plays a good game, but he's not everything that people say he is. How do you respond to that? Different personalities might respond differently. <clears throat> but there are some, many of us in fact, I think, that would probably work very hard to make those people like us. That we would do whatever we could to ingratiate ourselves to them and prove to them that we are worthy of their attention. That we are worthy of being included. And so we might try extra hard to, to, to impress them, to do something, to make them like us. We would seek their approval. We're entering into a campaign season politically in our nation. We're seeing this all over the place right now. Politicians playing to what they know their base will respond to. This is why, uh, is his name Beto? I can't remember what his name is. At an LGBTQ rally, that's why he made that bold statement that he's coming after the churches that don't change their doctrine and stuff. He said that because he was talking to people that that directly affected. Now, whether he would actually follow through with it, he doesn't stand a chance anyway. But even if he was elected president, whether he would follow through with that, we don't know. That's, but the point is, he said that because he was ingratiating himself to the crowd. And it's not just Democrats. Republicans do the same thing. And, but that's the point of politics, is that, is that you say whatever you got to say to get in with the people you're trying to get in with, Right? What are we seeking to do in that case? We're seeking, to, seeking the approval of others. Preachers do the same thing. Not just the politicians. Preachers do the same thing. Preachers, pastors will be very tempted to say what they know people will respond to. They know how to get a, get a, how to get a, a, a high in the congregation. 
Uh, they avoid talking about controversial things because, you know, if you tick enough people off, you might get kicked out of the church, that kind of thing. That's typically, by the way, why evangelists are so much more bold, because they know that they're going to preach and then leave. And then leave the pastor to clean up the mess. But we, we, we all do this to some degree, I think. So <clears throat> is this how Paul responds? These people are saying, oh, he's not all that in person. He talks a big talk. So is Paul trying to say, you know, come on, guys, you know, I've worked with you and, and I, I work really hard. And I think you guys just really don't appreciate what I'm doing. And, and I, you know, just take a look and let me just tell you my resume a little more. And he doesn't do any of that, does he? No. And what he does instead is he blasts them for so quickly compromising their faith. And then, in response to the slander against him, he asks this rhetorical question. So am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? In other words, am I? You guys have been saying that I'm trying to please you, that I'm not all that in person. Am I doing that right now? No. And he said, if I was, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. We can't do both. We can't seek the approval of others and seek the approval of God at the same time. <clears throat> when push comes to shove, who do you try to please? I'm asking myself that question. Not in judgment, but in just an honest evaluation. When push comes to shove, who do we try to please the most? Whose approval do we seek the most. I want to tell you, I'm having a blast with this stuff with Kanye West. This is fun. People say, well, what if he falls? Well, you know, if the church will get behind him and pray for him, I think he's got a shot. <laughs> and this is not a recent thing. As I understand it, he got saved four years ago and has been quiet about it up till now. So he's not a new convert in that sense. But the thing I'm loving about this is these nighttime hosts, they don't know what to do with him. Have any of you listened to the album, Jesus is King? I know it may not be our, our style of music, but it is incredible. First song, I listen to him, I'm like, well, this isn't really my style, but I appreciate it. Good gospel-centric message, it's good. He goes on, the album's only about 27 minutes long. Next song, it's like, oh, that's good. Next song's like, whoa, he just called some folks out right here. Next song, God is. He preaches the gospel, everything about that God is in his life. Last one, he's calling people to Jesus and calling them to repentance. And I'm like, this is amazing. It's the clearest presentation of the gospel I've heard in music and anything on the radio for the last five or ten years. I'm serious. And so it's getting airplay on secular radio stations and so forth. He was on um, uh, Jimmy Kimball. And so Jimmy Kimmel asked him, so are you a Christian musician now? And Kanye said, I'm a Christian everything. And the crowd just applauded him. It was fantastic. Um, can't think of the guy's name. Uh, the guy that's on late night on CBS had him in a, on an airplane ride and asked him what he did in the evenings. And he talked about that he spent time with his family. They played with the kids and his wife would watch Dateline. And he said, I'll sit there and read the Bible before I go to bed. And the, and the host says, you actually read the Bible? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the whole plane, it's a group that he's got going somewhere, a choir or something. They all start singing this gospel song. And he's sitting there with them and the host just going along with it. And, and, and they just don't know what to do with him. It's fantastic. 
But the thing I'm loving about it, Daniel and I were talking about this earlier, is that he's not coming off like he's got it all together. He's, still, he's talking about the fact that he still wrestles with a pornography addiction. He's talking about the fact that, you know, that um, out of everything that's happened in his life, you know, that he's got scars that God's still healing him on. He's being very vocal, but very vulnerable. Pastor shared in one of our pastor's groups on Facebook, uh, the mom filled out a prayer card last Sunday and said, my son wanted to come to church today for the first time after listening to Kanye's album. Isn't that amazing? Now, we don't need to make him a trophy, okay? We need to treat him like any other person that's just come to faith and is growing in the Lord. We need to pray for him, though, because the platform he has, just by the nature of his success, puts an an, an immense amount of pressure on him. So we need to pray for Kanye. But what I love is that he's being kind, not domineering, not condescending, but very, very clear and vocal about the truth. And what's amazing is these same late-night hosts that ridicule Christians on a regular basis are having to listen to the audience cheer him on and they don't know what to do with it. So, by all appearances, he's responding like it doesn't matter what other people say. I'm going to speak the truth. And I'm like, right on, man. This is incredible. So I just pray that God would give us that same kind of boldness. Amen? We can't serve God and or seek, to, uh, approve, seek the approval of others and seek the approval of God at the same time. <clears throat> Second point. When we seek the approval of others, we are trying to become big in their eyes. Trying to become big in their eyes. What do I mean by that? When something is big in our sight, it's like that's what we're looking at. That's what we see. All of our attention is drawn to that. So he says, if I'm still trying to please man, why do we struggle with this? Why do we struggle with trying to please others? Now, some of us go to the other extreme and become brazen and harsh, saying, well, I don't care what people think about me. And that's good to a point. But either way, we're trying to build our identity on our relations to others and their response to us. If we are insecure in our identity, if I I am dependent upon you for my sense of identity, my sense of self-worth, then you can destroy me with your response, right? And even those that go in the opposite direction and go real brazen and just get mouthy and harsh and just dare somebody to cross them, they're still doing that. They're taking their identity by by forcing a kind of reaction from others. So either way, either way, we, we are either, either way, we are, the pride is at the heart of either of these extremes. Pride is at the heart of either way. We either seek others' approval to make a name for ourselves and to be accepted, or we convince ourselves that we don't need anyone and we're better than them. Either way, it is the love of self that motivates us because we want to be big. 
That was Paul before he met Christ. He was making a name for himself in Judaism. Remember in Philippians where he talked about that? He said, he said of himself, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. In other words, I was the top of the class, and he's, he was persecuting the church and on his way to the top. And I mean, he was climbing the political, religious ladder. He was making himself big. And then he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Up to that point, he had gone by the Hellenistic form of his name, Saul. Saul of Tarsus probably was named after King Saul. So just imagine the pride involved in that. Imagine the pride of, I'm named after the first king of Israel. That's right. Kingship is my legacy. Right? And he had that attitude about just the same as Saul tried to gather attention for himself. Paul was doing the same thing as Saul of Tarsus. He's saying, I'm a king and don't forget it. But after he met Jesus, he went by a different name, Paul. Now this is cool. The name Paul means little. After he met Jesus... He became known as little. He was trying to make himself to be big. After he met Jesus, he realized he was little. He was little apostle little. And so I, I, I just I love that because he was no longer trying to make himself big, but he recognized that he was indeed small. When you come face to face with Jesus, you realize just how small you really are. Romans 12.3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. If we see ourselves through the eyes of faith, we see ourselves with clarity and with accuracy. So we stop trying to make ourselves big and we start seeking to make Jesus big. Come on, somebody. It's like John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease. He must become large, I must become small. So when we serve Christ, we recognize our smallness, but we are a small people serving a big God. So this raises the question then. (coughs) Paul says (coughs) that if we are trying to please man... We are no longer a servant of Christ. But here's the question. Aren't we called to serve others? I mean, isn't that one of the key aspects of what it means to be Christ-like, is to be a servant? Didn't Jesus Himself say that He did not come into the world to be served, but to become a servant to all? So how do we reconcile this with what Paul says, that if I'm seeking others' approval, I'm no longer a servant of Christ? Well, if I'm a servant of Christ, aren't I supposed to be a servant of all? So how do we work this out? The question is, what is our motivation? It's an issue of motivation. 
Paul is serving others. He's even serving the church at Galatia, but he's doing it not to seek their approval, not to gain favor with them, not to make himself large in their eyes, but to seek the approval of God. It's a question of who it is we're seeking to please. Whose approval are we seeking? So understand this, that we serve God by serving others, but it is God that we are seeking to please. So get this, that the more God-centric you are, the more others-centric you will be. But it's an issue of motivation because if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm focused on others in order to make myself large, it's not because I'm seeking their benefit. I'm seeking to gain something for myself. I'm actually serving myself. Does that make sense? <coughs> But when we are a servant of Christ, He calls us to serve others, but not to make ourselves large, but to make Him large and to benefit those whom we serve. When we are serving Christ and serving others, by serving Christ, by serving others, Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you're doing for me. Everything we do to serve others becomes an act of worship. So we're focused on ministering to others, serving others, but we're really focused on Him. Y'all getting this? So why do you serve others? Ask yourself, what is your motivation? You personally. Why do you serve others? Why do you serve in the church? If you serve in the church world to make a name for yourself or to win the approval of others, then you will be easily offended. You'll be looking to make sure you get all the recognition that you feel you deserve. And I believe in recognizing people for a job well done. Amen? We should do that. And we should, we should really go overboard in doing that. But if somebody doesn't recognize you for the work you're doing, is it still worth doing? Yes, because God takes note of everything we do in His name. Even Jesus pointed out about the Pharisee praying in sight of others and making making himself look miserable when he was fasting and all that. Jesus said, yep, he's got his reward. Because if you're seeking the approval of others, the approval of others will be the only reward that you may get. So, why do you do what you do? Why do you serve in the church? To gain approval, to gain favor, to make a name for yourself? Or is it to serve Christ and to make His name large? We're doing an event for rural pastors in January, our district is, and, <clears throat> and um, this is the second time we've done it. Some of y'all helped us for the first time, so, we're, so y'all can help us again, I hope. And we're doing it at the Springville Conference Center. We're going to be ministering to pastors that are in isolated areas that are not well-resourced. Many of them are bivocational because the church can't afford to pay them a full-time salary. We're going to provide them a truckload of all kinds of products, and we're going to give them tools to help them reach their community and build relationships. It's awesome. It's absolutely incredible. 
and this is something that's a passion of mine, working with Rural Compassion and Convoy of Hope to do this. So I'm kind of the point guy on it, and I was sending some information to our superintendent about it and was asking him, do you want me to do this and do this to advertise it? And, and, if, and if I started doing what I suggested, it would kind of put my face out there. And I just I felt a check in my spirit about it that the Lord, I think, impressed upon me that I need to be careful that I don't try to make a name for myself with these pastors. And so I wrote to Brother Ken and with this, and, and I asked him, do you want me to do this or do you want to do this? And I said, I'm perfectly fine with running point and letting you get the credit because if you want the win, I want you to have it. And I said, what I'm trying to say is I don't need my ego stroked. And, and I don't say that to brag on myself, but I say that to simply say that I was, a, I was checked in my spirit because the temptation was there to try to make a name for myself in this. But the truth of the matter is, I want to bless these pastors. These guys are the heroes in our district. Not the megachurch pastors, but these pastors with 40 or 50 people out in the boonies, you know, that can't, can barely pay their bills. Those are the heroes. And so that's, some of that is where this message actually came from. It's because what, I, I, I started checking my own heart of why do we do the things we do? Why do we get involved in the things that we are involved in? Is it to win the approval of others or is it to serve Jesus? Now, <clears throat> if we live to seek God's approval, we will be compelled to speak truth. Seeking God's approval compels us to speak truth. So in verse 10, <clears throat> once again, Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? It's a rhetorical question because obviously he's not seeking man's approval because he just tore into them for their mistakes. So in seeking God's approval, Paul spoke truth. Now on the flip side of this, if we serve others to seek their approval, it hinders us from speaking truth, right? Our motivation determines our ability to communicate what needs to be said. Do you hear me? Our motivation determines our ability to communicate what needs to be said. Not only what needs to be said, but in what spirit do we say it? Look at this in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to read verses 11 and then 14 and 15. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, <clears throat> he notice that what he says there in verse 11, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Why do they persuade others? Because they're walking in the fear of the Lord. They're walking to, or they're, they're seeking to serve God's approval. And then he says this in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. The NIV uses the word compels instead of controls. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ controls us. The Greek word here carries the idea of holding something together in one's hand. That the love of Christ takes us 
and keeps us together within its grasp. It can also carry the idea of a besieged city, a city that's under the control of another army. Or it can also carry the idea of a strait that forces a ship into a narrow channel. Do you get the idea that it is the love of Christ, our love for Christ moves us in a certain direction, constrains us, and keeps us from going to the right or to the left, but but forces us into a very particular uh, position and direction. And he says, because we love Christ, because we fear the Lord, we do all of this that we do. Our love of Christ constrains us and moves us the way God wants us to move. And by the way, our love for Christ will cause us to love others with His love. So to truly love someone, we do what's best for them. We seek their well-being rather than our own. So, you see, Paul did not just chew out the Galatians because he was going to have his say and tell them off. He hurt them because he loved them. It was his love for Christ and his love for the Galatians that compelled him to speak truth. In fact, if he loved the Galatians and if he loved the Lord, he could do nothing but speak the truth. This is, I believe, a missing element. In the church world in America today, let's again talk about the homosexual agenda and all the LBT, ABCDEFG, all, all that. You know, we have, we have repeatedly tried to speak truth, but we've not spoken it in love. And you understand there are those with that agenda that seek to make the church out to be hateful and... and, and um, um, you know, I can't think of the word, but just seeking to be uh, as, as hateful and controlling and, and prejudiced as possible. There are some that do that with an agenda, but there are those that simply have that perception because of the actions Christians have taken toward them. And so we have to ask ourselves, as in the church world in America, do we speak truth to homosexuals because we love Christ and we love them? Or do we speak truth to homosexuals because we hate homosexuality? Or because we hate those who are homosexual? Now notice, I'm not saying we shouldn't be speaking truth. I'm saying we better be doing it for the right reasons and with the right motivation. And so, sometimes we struggle with the courage to do what's right. It's not an issue of believing in yourself and having the courage to do what's right as it is learning to walk in the fear of the Lord and letting His love be what compels us, controls us, and constrains us. When we fear man, we fear everything. When we fear God, there's nothing else that we can fear. So this verse 10 has just been ringing in me. Am I now serving God, seeking the approval of God, or seeking the approval of man? If I'm seeking man's approval, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. 
I don't know about you, but I want to be called a servant of Christ. I want Jesus to be able to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. And so with that, we find the courage to do what's right. We find the courage to say what's right, to speak truth, but to do it in a way that glorifies God rather than ripping others apart. Apparently, we don't know for sure how the Galatian church has responded, but apparently it was received well in some capacity because the Galatian church has held on to this document long enough for it to be included in the New Testament canon of Scripture. If they had thought, well, Paul's off his rocker, they could have torn it up and dismissed it, burned it, whatever. So apparently they were able to receive his rebuke because they knew he was the, probably the founder of the church along with some others. And they recognized that he was speaking as a, as a spiritual father to them out of his love for them. So my prayer for us would be that in the coming days of the election and in the, all the social issues we face, and right here at home, in our church, in our families, at work, that we would seek to be a servant of Christ and not seek to make ourselves big, but to make him big. And I believe if we do that, we find that when we humble ourselves, James 5 tells us, I believe it's 5, tells us that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, He will lift us up. Let's all stand together.